Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes to us from the book of Jonah. As we continue moving forward in our study here, we will be looking at Jonah chapter 4 and verses 1 to 4. Jonah chapter 4 and verses 1 to 4. Jonah chapter 4 and verses 1 to 4. Brothers and sisters, if you would, then please hear with me the the reading of, of God's Word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Well, oh well, brothers and sisters, how abruptly, how fast things have have changed in the life of Jonah, have they not? Uh, We began our study in the book of Jonah, seeing just how far a servant of the Lord could, could flee and could fall from the presence of the Lord as Jonah ran, as the Lord first was sending him to Nineveh. And it wasn't until Jonah was hopeless and helpless in the belly of the great fish that the tide of emotions turned in his heart back towards his Lord. It wasn't until he experienced near death, being entombed in the belly of this great fish, that he remembers all of a sudden the character of God. And if you remember, that that drives him then back to his Lord and it causes him to cry out in prayer and to say, salvation belongs to the Lord. From there, Jonah, we've seen, was, was spit out back onto the earth. And, and there, Jonah then goes forth into his missionary journey that the Lord had called him to, that he first tried to, to flee from, that got him in all this trouble to begin with. And it seemed as that Jonah, after this encounter with death, has, has learned something, didn't it? It seemed like all of a sudden, Jonah had this newfound love and compassion for the Ninevites as he himself experienced what, what separation from God was like. Right? And he, he knew what it would be like for the Ninevites to die apart from faith and repentance. And so he has this newfound love and compassion, it seems, that drives him to go into Nineveh and to preach this sermon to the Ninevites. It seems as if the, the bulb went off in Jonah's head, that, that he's reached the, the mountaintop, so to speak. Right? That he that he finally understands that he no longer wants to dabble in his sin, that he no longer wants to follow after his own will, but rather the will of God. But then all of a sudden we get this. Right? We we get this. We get a completely different set of emotions that have come over Jonah. These emotions, though, are not loving and compassionate and, and kind emotions that cause him to obey his heavenly Father and to do good works to his neighbor, but rather now, in a way, Jonah sinks to new lows. Right? Jonah is experiencing throughout the book a roller coaster, we might say, of emotions. 
And with that, what we also see Jonah experience is a, is a paradoxical experience, really, with sin while all the while being a believer. And Jonah's experience, though, is one that I think we all know far too well, isn't it? Right? We know what it's like to, to ride on the, the heights of our faith. We know what it's like to be, to be spiritually strong, right? to be those who are in the Word and in prayer every day and feeling like God has is, is strengthened us so that we can fight all temptation and, and all fear and, and that we can flee and we know how to do those things and that we, we, we live as if we uh, are experiencing the great joys of our salvation. We feel this close communion with the Lord. But then what happens? Right? All of a sudden, something happens in our life and all of this comes crashing down. No matter what that is, whether that's, that's stress at work, right? whether that is uh, problems in our home, whether that is uh, some sin or temptation that we have allowed to creep in, whether that is things not going our way, and all of a sudden what happens? We lose sight of what matters. We lose sight of, of who we are in Christ. We lose sight of what our purpose is here on earth. And we stop walking in obedience to the Lord and we start living selfishly and we start living uh, after our own wills and not after the will of God. And we, we live in this constant kind of back and forth, don't we? we? We, like Jonah, ride this roller coaster oftentimes in our life. But as you grow in your faith, right, as, you, as you grow in knowledge of the truth, uh, perhaps that back and forth uh, lessens in your life. It starts to, to lessen. You stop having those, those drastic maybe motions from, from holy emotions to, to sinful emotions. But so long as you live, you're never going to be able to extinguish those sinful emotions for good on this side of heaven. Right? This is why the great reformer Martin Luther could say that at the same time, we are both justified and sinner. Right? This is why he could say that we are both uh, saint and sinner. Right? He is expressing that, that biblical teaching of the Christian life, that yes, that, that we are made righteous through faith in Christ, that we, that we are in right standing with God, and yet at the same time that we are saints, we continue to experience this indwelling sin that bubbles up within inside of us constantly and continually. And this is the experience that we see in Jonah's life. Right? Jonah's life is full of paradoxes. But guess what, brother? So is your life, and so is mine. And yet in seeing this, as, as Jonah records his failings for us all to read about, there is so much here, if mind and considered, that ought to help us to, to grow. Right? There is so much for us to consider as we read the story of Jonah's life. So much to learn about our own sinfulness. Right? So much, though, to learn also about the true faith of a saint. Right? How they respond in, in the face of their own sinfulness. But also, there is so much here that teaches us about the character of God. Now, I've entitled this sermon, Jonah's Misguided Anger. And I've entitled it Jonah's Misguided Anger because Jonah shouldn't have been angry at all. But rather, it was Jonah's sinful reasoning that, that kindled this anger within Jonah's heart. And in our text today, we are reminded by Jonah's anger over the conversion of the Ninevites, of what we ourselves experience all too often, and that is forgetfulness, isn't it? We are all too often forgetful of the grace and the mercy and the patience that God has extended to us 
But with other sinners, we want them to experience strict justice immediately, don't we? And it was this short-sightedness of Jonah that causes him now to, to level this complaint against God that seemingly comes out of nowhere. Right? Instead of rejoicing in the conversion of the Ninevites, instead of exalting the name of the Lord with all the host of heaven, as the Ninevites have repented and turned to the Lord in faith, Jonah's selfishness stirred up a, the sin of displeasure instead of celebration. I mean, do you see how sinful that is? That, that actually the conversion of the Ninevites made Jonah unhappy. The source of Jonah's unhappiness is the conversion of sinners. That's what we read here in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah. This is a reference back to, to God relenting from punishing them. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Jonah now, then we read, has become bitter. He has become angry, thinking only about himself, not about God, not about God's glory, not about God's honor, not about uh, his neighbor and their own salvation. And so this leads us then into our first of three points that we want to look at as we consider this misguided anger of Jonah. And so that first point that we are going to address is Jonah's complaint. We're going to look at the, the complaint. What is the complaint that he that he delivers here to our Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, if we're honest, as we consider the complaint of Jonah, we must confess that we ourselves, as we sit here today, are a room full of complainers. We're, we're a room full of complainers. And, and why is it that we complain? It's because we think things should be done a different way. Or things aren't done according to our likeness or the way that, that we want them, right? We, we are constantly finding reasons to complain. Just think about it maybe this morning. On your way here, you complained about the traffic. Or you complained about the weather. Even though it's nice, it's not nice enough. Or maybe you complained about your employer. Perhaps you complained about one another. You complained about the church. But no matter how good things seem to be, we can always find reasons to complain. And we always seemingly do. Because if, if, if it was done such and such way, right, we, we would then be happy. Right? If it was done this way, with the implication being it would be done better. Right? It would be done better if it was our way. If it was done this way, a different way than the way that it was done. Even when things work out well for others, we are a people who complain, aren't we? If our co-worker gets employee of the, of the month, what do we say? He doesn't do that much. I do way more than him. You know, I should be getting this award, not him. Right? When you when you praise a child in the home, what happens? If you grew up as a as a as a as a sibling, you know what it is. When one child gets praised in the home, you you turn to your siblings and you 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 you, you say amongst yourselves, you know, why is he getting praised? I did that last week, and no one no one brought that up about me, and I did far better than he did. Right? We're we're always finding reasons to complain, and this is the type of thinking that we see in our text today that Jonah has now descended into, thinking he knows best, his way was best, finding reasons to complain with what God did. And so what we have to ask then this morning, as we look at our text, is what was at the center then of Jonah's complaint? Right? What is at the center of Jonah's complaint? And I think that we can really highlight two things. Right? The first thing at the center of Jonah's complaint is that Jonah is upset that he is being made to look like a false prophet. So Jonah complains because he is being made to look like a false prophet. Starting at verse 2, this is what we read. Jonah says this, 
O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah saying to God, why would you send me here to, to declare that message? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown if this is what you had planned. Right? Why would you send me there? This is God. This is the reason I ran. Because I knew this was what you were going to do. I didn't even want to go. Because your mercy towards Nineveh is going to make me, Jonah the prophet, look bad. Here I'm declaring that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And yet what? It's not destroyed. But instead, you being merciful and gracious, you gave them opportunity to repent. And when they repented, you were true to yourself and you were relented from punishing them. But now what's going to happen? Now look what's going to happen. My, my kinsmen after the flesh are going to see this and they're going to say, there's a false prophet. Right? They're going to point and laugh and mock and talk behind my back and say, Jonah declared yet in 40 days Nineveh would be destroyed and yet... Nineveh wasn't destroyed. It's, it's still here. It didn't happen. And so Jonah complains to God because he feels as if his own name has been besmirched. Right? Jonah complains because he feels that God has made him to look like a liar. Now this is not the only complaint that Jonah has or the only concern. Right? He's not only concerned for his own name, but we see also that Jonah is concerned for his, for his country. He's concerned for his kinsmen. Right? He thinks to himself, you know, what's going to happen to them? Right? You've just rescued our enemies from destruction. Right? You've just rescued them. So now what's going to happen? Now what you've done is given them opportunity to one day turn around and destroy us. Right? And so Jonah levels this complaint against God. Or even if they don't, Jonah assuredly is thinking, what does their repentance, what must this say for, for Israel? What must this say to my uh, brothers and sisters in, in the nation of Israel who, who don't repent and who continue to live in rebellion. What does this say about us? Does it mean that my kinsmen after the flesh are going to be destroyed? And so all these worries are, are going through Jonah's head. They're running through his head. But what is Jonah doing? Right? At, at, at the core of it all, what is he doing? Right? He's only thinking about his own self-interest here. And he's only thinking about the, the self-interest of those whom he loves. But what we need to see is that Jonah, in this instance, is perverting love. Right? He's perverting love, as, as we all do after the fall. Right? We all pervert love after the fall. After the fall, we intensely love ourselves, don't we? Or we intensely love those things that, that we derive pleasure from, or that work to our advantage. Right? And we have a, a natural aversion to everything that goes against those things that, that we love and, 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 and love for ourselves. But brothers and sisters, what we need to see is that 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 is actually a violation, really, of the Ninth Commandment. And you might say, well, how, how is that? The Ninth Commandment says we're not to bear false witness. Where, where do you get that, that from? But remember that every uh, center of a vice is a commendation of a virtue. Right? When he says, don't do this, it, it, the, implica the implication is then you must do this. And so if we're not to bear false witness, if we're not to try to destroy our neighbor's name, if we're, not try, try, if we're not trying to injure and harm our neighbor, then what are we supposed to be doing? Right? We're supposed to be promoting their welfare. Right? We're supposed to be holding up their names, speaking well of them, promoting their good, celebrating when God blesses them with gifts and graces. 
Right? This is what we see from the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Right? What does Paul say? He, he celebrates the faith of these Roman saints. Right? There is no hint of jealousy with Paul. He doesn't say, why are they celebrating your faith? I'm the one out here doing all, all the work and, and suffering persecution. No. He says, I thank my God for your faith that is being resounded across the world. This is very different though, isn't it, from the, the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, is it not? I remember when the prodigal returns and his, his father throws this feast for him and the father goes out to speak to the elder son to, to call him in into celebration as well. And what does the older son say? He isn't happy that his brother's home, is he? No, he says, wait, why are you doing this for him? I've been a good servant. I'm here all the time doing what I'm supposed to do and yet you've never celebrated me like you celebrate Him. Right? We see, brothers and sisters, that, 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 that at its very foundation, there is, there is uh, sin that is undealt with in the heart of the person who would think that way, right? who, would, who, would, who, would, who would speak those words, who, who would not be happy for the gifts and the graces of a brother or sister in the Lord. And we see this with, uh, with Jonah in our text today. Right? He, he complains. When what he ought to be doing is just resting joyfully in knowing that everything that's occurring here is occurring according to the plan of God. And if, if it's happening according to the plan of God, then God is being most glorified in it. And Jonah should have been happy with that. But what we see is that Jonah loses focus of that. He, he takes his eyes off of what's important. Right? He takes his eyes off the Lord. He takes his eyes off how he ought to have rejoiced in the salvation of the Ninevites. And instead he, he places it upon himself. When instead, Jonah should have thought nothing of himself. He should have only glorified God. He should have thought nothing about what's going to happen to Israel. And he should have rejoiced in the deliverance of the Ninevites. But he doesn't do that because he's short-sighted. He's already forgot the, the grace and mercy that God had given to him. And so he's upset when God shows that same grace and mercy to someone else. But Jonah has no basis for this complaint, does he? God does whatever pleases God. This is what David declares in Psalm 115, verse 3. But we see, this is what happens when one takes their eyes off of the Lord, when one takes their eyes off of the will of God and places it upon themselves and upon their own selfish will and desire. Right Here is that, is that sinner showing forth in Jonah. But what we also must see in our text today is that the saintliness of Jonah likewise shines forth in how he deals with his anger and displeasure. And this leads us to our second point this morning, which is the confession. The confession. We've just looked at Jonah's complaint with the Lord. Now we are going to consider his confession. Please look with me at those first six words of verse 2. The first six words of verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord. And he prayed to the Lord. For all the the criticism that we can level against Jonah for his sinfulness and his response to the deliverance of the Ninevites, not everything that Jonah did was, was bad. What we see here in his response is that Jonah has learned something. He's learned a lesson from earlier in chapter 1. Do you remember in that rebellion of Jonah when he ran away and he fled the presence of the Lord? 
What did he refuse to do? He refused to pray. He refused to turn to the Lord in prayer. But now that has all changed, right? Jonah is not seeking refuge in the bottom of a boat. Rather, Jonah is seeking refuge in the arms of his Lord. He does not run away, but he stays and he prays. Right? He, he seeks the ear of his God as a child of God. And so Jonah lays, lays bare everything that is in his heart to his Lord. He even removes anything that would, that would filter kind of even all the sinfulness that's there, doesn't he? And he just lays it all bare before the Lord. And we ought to learn something from what Jonah does here in our text this morning. Right? We as Christians are oftentimes unwilling to admit our own weaknesses. Right? We want everyone to think that, that we live these perfect lives, that we're these perfect Christians, that our, that our faith is perfect and it never wavers. And we, we almost never sin. And when you pray even by yourself, you oftentimes don't address your sin directly, do you? Right? Oftentimes when we even enter prayer secretly in our own room to the Lord, do you not soften your own sinfulness before the Lord in, in the words that you pray? Don't you soften your own sin speaking to God even though you're aware in the back of your head that, that He knows everything that you're guilty of and yet we don't lay that bare before the Lord? Right? We're always holding back. We're never willing to express to the Lord what is really in our hearts and on our minds. But here Joseph, Jonah doesn't hold back anything from the Lord. Right? He exposes it all. He exposes his heart. He lays it bare before the Lord and leaves himself even open for chastisement. But he lays it bare. Right? He lays it bare. And so let us learn to do the same thing, brothers and sisters, because it's through prayer that God blesses His people. Right? So if sin resides in your heart, you are to take it to the Lord in prayer. Right? Lay your heart bare because that is where you will find the grace of God to overcome your sinfulness. It's in prayer. And we can trust that God will provide the grace we need when we turn to Him in prayer For this is what He has promised. And God is true to His character, is He not? And this is what Jonah likewise confesses in his prayer this morning. Jonah's angry because Jonah knows the character of God. This is what we also see in our text today. He knew what God would do for the sinner who comes to Him in faith and repentance. It was Moses who heard God say as he passed by Him in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. Do we not hear in what Jonah says here an echo of Exodus 34, verse 6 here? Right? Jonah sang the same thing. He's saying, God is gracious and merciful. He's saying, why do you have to be gracious and merciful to them though, isn't he? But these words, grace and mercy, are oftentimes in Scripture used interchangeably. Uh, they, they mean to speak about the compassionate kindness of God. And we oftentimes decipher between the two of them because we, we consider uh, grace as being God giving to us what we don't deserve and we consider mercy being God not giving to us what we do deserve. And if you are a saint here today, you have experienced then God's grace and mercy. You have been given what you do not deserve, which is 
faith and repentance. It's eternal life. It's everlasting life. It's the, it's the benefits of, of Christ's redemption. And yet, you did not receive what you do deserve, which is death and condemnation. But brothers and sisters, one thing that I want us to see, one thing that, that we need to highlight, is that we need to see that God does not forego justice in order that He might give you grace and mercy. Right? He doesn't forego His justice to be gracious and merciful to you. Right? For the unregenerate person, they don't receive the grace and mercy, they just receive the justice, right? But for the saint, for the regenerate, it's not that God overlooks justice and gives you grace and mercy, but rather it's Christ who endures the justice that you deserved so that you may receive the grace and mercy. And so let us never see grace and mercy ever being severed from faith in Jesus Christ or coming to us apart from faith in Christ. And yet Jonah also confesses that God is slow to anger and steadfast in love. Brothers and sisters, I say, thanks be to God that He is that way. Right? Thanks be to God that He is that way. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Every day of our lives, that we give God a reason to forsake us, and to cast us into the bottomless pit. But God reveals Himself to be a God who does not act rashly. God reveals Himself to be a God who is totally and fully under control of all of His emotions and all of His actions. So that what? He gives us time to grieve over our sin, to be broken over our sin, so that we might run towards Him in faith and repentance. God is inviting sinners to come to us. He doesn't doesn't take pleasure in destroying, but He he wants to forgive. But that forgiveness will only ever come to us through faith in Christ. And that is because He abounds in steadfast love. The steadfast love means to convey or communicate really God's uh, faithfulness in His covenant keeping to His people. This is why Jonah can hope. Right? because he is a part of the, the covenant community here. Right? And so he knows that God will be steadfast and faithful to his covenant promises. Right? It is, it is this steadfast love that, that makes Jonah be able to run to God and, and lay his heart open before him, knowing that God's not going to forsake him, even though Jonah is a sinner. Right? His love, though, is also the reason that Jonah doesn't, never wanted to go to Nineveh. Because he knows God's love is unbreakable. And so he doesn't want that love to be cast down upon the Ninevites. Because he knows that God's love never runs out. God's love is like a river that never runs dry. This is what Jonah declares. That God always acts in accordance with God's nature. And it is in God's own nature by where he finds sufficient grounds and reason to save people like you and I. It is in God and God Himself in which he finds sufficient reason to save people like the Ninevites. Because, brothers and sisters, believe you me, we give God no reason to save you and I. The only grounds, the only reason is himself. He is reason alone. And this leads us then to our third and our final point this morning, which is corruption and compassion. been working with a, a a sea theme this morning. Complaint, confession... And now, corruption and compassion. Now, what we need to see here, brothers and sisters, is that uh, this is probably the most sinful thing 
uh, that Jonah does here in our text this morning even worse uh, than in wishing that the Ninevites were not converted. Uh, and, that, and that great sinful thing that he does in our text today is that Jonah actually wants God to act contrary to himself. Right? That is what we see. He wants God to act contrary to himself. He wanted God not to act like God, but rather to act like man. Right? He was not jealous for the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, sadly, the same is true for so many of us who sit here today. Right? There are often times that we don't want God to be God. Especially when it comes to our sinfulness. Right? When it comes to our sin, we don't want God to be God. We don't want God to be God in punishing it. We want God to allow us to, to dabble in it. Right? And not experience any consequences for it. Right? We want God to, in those instances, not be God. Right? Be, be contrary to yourself. But if we, if we sit back and if we think about it, we should never want God to act like anything other than Himself and according to His nature. In fact, for the believer, there ought not to be anything that frightens you more than a God who can act contrary to Himself. There should be anything that frightens you more than a God who can act less than who He is. Than a God who can love holiness one day and love sin the next. A God that can love righteousness one day and despise it the next. A God who can love you as His children and His chosen people one day and cast you aside the next. But oftentimes we want God to, to not be God as this is a product of our own inherent corruption. Right? What Jonah should have been angry with in this encounter is with himself, his own sin. He should have been angry with his kinsmen for their continual rebellion and sinfulness against God. And he should have been exalting God. He should have been pleased to see God's eternal decree worked out. He should have been pleased to see God glorified and honored in the deliverance of the Ninevites. But that inward corruption is even further here as we look in verse 3. As Jonah will say, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, at the very least, at least it was good of Jonah to recognize that it's God who is the author of life and death. Right? Right? At least Jonah recognizes that, that it's God's prerogative to end someone's life, to, 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 to take life. It, that power is in the hands of God, not in man. And yet, what a, what a sinful request, isn't it? It's a sinful request because it's a selfish request. Right? Jonah's not asking for his life to be taken for the sake of the name of God or for the extension of the kingdom of God. He's asking his life be taken for selfish reasons. Right? Because he says, now everyone's going to think of me as a liar. What use am I to you, God, anymore? It's just easier for all of us if you take my life, if you allow me to die. But how does God respond to Jonah? How does he respond to Jonah? He responds to Jonah with great compassion, doesn't he? Isn't it ironic that, that Jonah here is the one who is committing the sin and he's quick to anger? And God is the one who here is being sinned against and he is slow to it? Isn't that ironic? Instead of punishing Jonah for his sin, what does he do? He, he calls him to, to stop and to reflect upon what he's saying. In verse 4, do you do well to be angry? Right? God looks to convict Jonah by having him look inwardly in his own heart. 
Although God will not overlook what Jonah has done, do we see how gently and lovingly and kindly he deals with his servant? And brothers and sisters, is that not how he deals with you and I and all of his children? Every day we provoke God's anger and wrath, and yet what is it that we receive? Lamentations, actually. In chapter 3, in verse 22 and 23, we read this, which is so beautiful and so wonderful. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We give God reason to cast us to the bottomless pit every day. And yet, what does He give to us? Compassion. Constantly, daily, new mercy upon new mercy. And so knowing this, let me ask all of you as you, as you sit here today, is there anything in your heart uh, that you are angry about towards the Lord? Is there any anger that you, that you harbor for the Lord about something that has occurred in your own life? About where you are in life right now, your station in life? About something that has occurred in, in your childhood, in your adulthood, or in your marriage, or with your children? And let me ask you if, if, if it is the case, if you do harbor some anger towards the Lord, does it do well to be angry with the Lord? Does it do well to be angry with the Lord? And the answer ought to be a resounding no. Right? For everything that the Lord does is right and good and just. And He doesn't ask nor does He need your approval. But what He does do is He demands your submission to His will. And that is what we owe to Him. Because just like Jonah, He has rescued us from death and given us everlasting life in His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not an easy life to live. right? It is, it is a struggle as a war wages in our members. But we must remember that He who is in us is greater than He who is in the world. And because of this, although we may stumble in our Christian life, we ought to be seeing ourselves towards an upward trajectory, right? In the Christian life. You ought to be increasing in the Christian life. You ought to be seeing growth in your Christian life. Yes, you will have setbacks. But in those times of setbacks, what the Christian does, what the regenerate does, is they thrust themselves upon the mercy of God. Right? When they see their sin, when their sin is exposed, when they feel anger and displeasure with the Lord, they take it to the Lord in prayer. That's not what the unregenerate do. That's something that the that the regenerate do. That they pray as they hate and they despise that constantly these evil emotions keep bubbling up inside of them. And so while Luther's statement is true, that at the same time we are both justified and sinner, as you grow in grace, as you grow in knowledge, as you grow in the truth, you ought to look more justified than sinner. You ought to look more justified than sinner. But that is not something, brothers and sisters, that you can manufacture on our own. This is something that only comes from the fountain of all grace who is God. And you can only tap into the fountain of all grace through His Son and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when God receives us, let us be thankful that He does not receive us as Jonah received the Ninevites. When God receives us by His grace, He receives us in the fullness of His love, does He not? He takes us up and he, he cradles us up in His grace for He as God can do no other. Let us then confess, the Lord 
Our God is a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess our sin to You this day uh, that we are oftentimes uh, complainers. We oftentimes are, are angry or disappointed or unhappy uh, with what You have allotted us in this life. And we ask, Lord, that You would forgive us our sin, that You would give us uh, peace and contentment, that You would cause us to rejoice in whatever occurs, knowing that the decree of God is being worked out. And as it is being worked out, you are being glorified. And so we ought to honor and praise your name. So Father, we come before you this morning and we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.